And so this morning we launch a journey together with the simple theme, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's watch, listen, and reflect and get our hearts ready for this sermon series. I'd invite you to bow with me, please, for a time of meditation and prayer. Lord, it's only fitting that we begin this uh, sermon series with a time of prayer to silently invite you to quicken our minds by your spirit, give us insights, give us a listening grace, give us receptive hearts. We pray that you'll always be pushing us beyond ourselves, that we'll get over ourselves and acknowledge our sin and our failures to you and to others. Pushing us beyond ourselves that we might see a world that's hurting and needs you. We pray for peace in our world, especially in regions of the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq. We pray for our military men and women, wherever they're serving, that you'll keep them safe. We pray for homeless people here in Jefferson City and around the world, refugees, those who are struggling and journeying to find a place. And we pray as the school year begins that you might bless our students our teachers and faculty and administration, that this might be a great year and a year of positive impact on lives. Teach us, Lord, in times of brokenness and pain to trust you. We pray for our sick, for those who are struggling with diagnosis and disease. We pray for those who are grieving. May we find refuge in the shadow of your wings and strength from your comforting Holy Spirit. Remind us every day, God, that we're your children, even when we feel inadequate, even when we fail. And through the cross of Jesus Christ and through your Holy Spirit, may we gain the victory. Bless and guide our efforts and our understanding in these moments of worship. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to two passages from Luke, Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, they're not too far away, Uh, two instances that we'll sort of stitch together. It's the fifth chapter of Luke, verses 12 through 16, and then the sixth chapter of Luke, beginning in verse 6, Luke 5, 12, and then Luke 6, 6. If you're able, would you stand please as I read these verses aloud? Once when Jesus was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, go, he said, and show yourself to the priest and as Moses commanded Make an offering for your cleansing for a testimony to them. But now, more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. Then in chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught, And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath 
so that they might find accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking at all of them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray And he spent the night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. Lord, teach us to pray. You know, one of the surprising things that I've noticed as I've been thinking and planning this sermon series is that Um, none of us feels like we're very good at prayer. Most people I meet feel like they have a mediocre prayer life. I've never really met anyone who said, uh, you know, I'm on top of this prayer thing. I've got it mastered. Uh, I'm really good at it. Come come watch me or listen to me. I know in my own life I I struggle with that sort of thing. It, It hasn't been very long ago and probably as I began to ramp up for this sermon series, I realized that my prayer life had shriveled up to a Santa Claus wish list. Have you ever gotten to that place where the only time you talk to God is about all the burdens? I was praying. I was spending a lot of time in prayer, but it was just a long list of needs. And I, and I realized that I needed to get back spending time in prayer, just sitting there letting God love me, and then spending time with me loving God back in prayer. And, and it's great, it's wonderful, but why did I have to be reminded of that? You know, after all, I'm a pastor, right? After all, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, right? But, but we all need reminding because we all feel like we fail at prayer. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a famous British preacher in the 20th century. He said something once that I have written down and remembered and thought a lot about, and I want to leave it on your doorstep. I'm I'm not even asking you to necessarily agree with it, but I'm asking you to think about it a little bit before we move on. He once said in a sermon, everything you do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Everything you will do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Now, I don't know if I agree with that, but it sure gives me a lot to think about, about prayer being so difficult, maybe because it's so simple. I don't know. I really appreciate all the correspondence I've had as I've asked you to give me input, your questions, doubts, problems, victories, blessings of prayer. I've received Facebook and text and email and everything except carrier pigeon. I don't think I had any carrier pigeons, but but I had a lot of communication. And, and one person in our church wrote this, and I want to I share it with you. Why is discussion about prayer and its difficulties taboo in Christian circles? It's almost as if after we pray the key prayer, asking Jesus into our hearts, then it's assumed we know how to pray. And I think this is a crucial point. 
we, we pray the most urgent, necessary prayer to ask Jesus Christ to come into our lives. And then we're just sort of sent out and say, well, good luck, I hope you know how to pray. You see, we're growing as followers of Jesus, as disciples. And you've been hearing a lot lately about love, grow, and serve. We, we talk about those graphics, the heart and, and the growth of the plant and the footsteps of service, the shepherd's crook of service. Love, grow, and serve. But how can we love? How can we grow? And how can we really serve unless we learn more about prayer? And so I thought the place to begin this morning was for us to look at Jesus and to think together about Jesus' structured prayer life, his formal prayer life, and Jesus' unstructured, his informal prayer life. First of all, the structured. A couple of very clear examples I read to you in the 16th verse of chapter 5 of Luke. Jesus would withdraw four times of prayer into deserted places. And the tense of the verbs... Uh, are, are such that it's not a one-time thing. This is, was the practice, the pattern, the habit of Jesus. And then, of course, in chapter 6, verse 12, he spent all night in prayer in another instance. Jesus had established times of prayer. There were formal prayers. They were very important to him. And you know that I'm a believer in, in a daily quiet time. If you're a follower of Jesus, finding a time when you get alone with God and pray. You, you hear me talk about it a lot. Um, I'm, I'm a practitioner of, of formal structured prayer times. It's not everything, but it's, it's important. You know, um, here's, here's one of the things we need to remember. All the questions we have about prayer, you know, do I pray with my eyes open or my eyes closed? Do I stand or do I kneel? Uh, do I pray to God or do I pray to Jesus? Do I, am I praying when I'm just thinking the prayer or does it have to be said with words of speech and on and on? All those questions about prayer and many more, if we will establish times and places of structured prayer, either a lot of those questions will go away or a lot of those questions will change into deeper questions and more penetrating questions. Not that those questions aren't important, but you just establish a regular time of prayer, a structured prayer, and see if some of those questions either don't go away, or you figure them out, or they change and morph into other kinds of questions. So, yes, structured times of prayer. Jesus had them. But there are limits to structured prayer time. And that leads us to Jesus' unstructured prayer time. I know from things that you wrote me, and things that you've told me over the years, that Many of you feel guilty because you sort of pray as you go. You don't, you don't emphasize as much the structured prayer. Pray while you're driving with your eyes open, of course. Uh, pray while you're uh, doing the chores of the household. Uh, you feel guilty because you don't, you, know, you don't have this big prayer closet that you go into. Uh, other people wrote and told me they feel guilty because they feel ADD when they're praying, attention deficit, uh, They'll start praying and then they'll start thinking about something else. They'll start praying and then they'll fall asleep. They'll start praying and then they'll, they'll start fretting about something. And, and that's okay. That, that's conversation with God informally. We need to quit guilting ourselves and realize that Jesus not only had structured times of prayer, but he had unstructured times of prayer. 
That is to say that prayer for him was not just an action. Prayer was also an attitude. It was a spirit. How could we pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter says, if we were always going to a place? Praying without ceasing is an attitude. It's a spirit. And Jesus was in the attitude of prayer. And if you notice the two scriptures that I read to you, one from Luke 5, one from Luke 6, those were not really passages of scripture about prayer. They were passages of scripture about Jesus serving and healing people. They were stories about Jesus liberating and calling people. It's prayer that undergirded it. But there's no doubt in my mind that he was praying as he was going. So structured prayers give us our foundation or our launch so that unstructured prayers of spirit in a continual way can happen on a regular basis. Let me see if I can give you an analogy that will help this be in your mind a little clearer. Let's say that uh, last Friday night you went to a concert of your favorite band. I don't care what the band is. It's your all-time favorite band, and you got tickets, and you were at the concert. And when they were singing your favorite songs, you were singing along, and you were having a great time in that very formal, official setting. And then, ever since then, in your mind as you're driving, or as you're washing dishes, or as you're doing chores, you start humming the songs from that concert. Now, I have a question for you. Which one was music? The formal concert or the informal humming? The answer is they were both music. One was structured and one was unstructured. One was in a particular place and one was as you were going. You come to worship. You hear your favorite hymns. You hear your favorite praise music. And you start singing with gusto in a formal setting. And then through the week, you find yourself humming those hymns or those choruses. You don't even realize you're doing it, and you're singing them. Which one was music? They were both music. One was formal, one was informal. One was structured, one was unstructured. And that's the way it is with prayer. The formal prayer gives us a pattern, a foundation, a launch. The informal prayers can happen anywhere, everywhere, as we live our lives. Now that we've established that as Jesus' pattern, structured and unstructured prayers, I want you to notice with me how prayer for Jesus was always preparation for the epic thing that was going to happen in his life. Prayer was always the preparation for the big thing. It's what, it's what I call in this sermon title, prayer was preparation for Jesus' BHAG, B-H. A.G., his BHAG, his big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, that's not original with me if you've done much reading in organizational matters. Uh, Jim Collins and Jerry Porras wrote a book several years ago entitled Built to Last, and they said every leader has a clear, compelling vision and life goal that brings a unifying focus to life work. It's one big, compelling, unifying goal that brings a focus to life and to work. And they called it a big, hairy, audacious goal. You know what Jesus' BHAG was? You know what his big, hairy, audacious goal was? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That was was everything that Jesus was about. 
bringing people to salvation, healing people's diseases, correcting structures that were wrong in society, bringing the kingdom of God. That was his BHAG. And I want you to notice with me the examples from the scripture that we've already read, how, this, how prayer prepares Jesus and equips Jesus for his BHAG, for his big, hairy, audacious goal. First of all, notice with me how Jesus depends on prayer during times of success. Jesus in Luke 5 sees a man who has leprosy. Jesus has mercy on him. Jesus heals that man. And the scripture says that more than ever, verse 15, the people from everywhere, the word spread, and the people were coming, and the crowds were gathering around. And what's the very next verse? Verse 16, chapter 5. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray, precisely because the crowds were coming. Has it ever occurred to us that we need to pray not only when things are going badly, but maybe especially when things are going well? Because it's when things are going well that we get full of ourselves and we lose our heads. It's when things are going well that we start depending on us instead of depending on God. In times of success, Jesus said, whoa, whoa, time out. I'm going to get away and pray. Jesus was not going to let the crowd define who he was. Jesus was not going to cut himself off from his source of power. And young people need to hear this, especially with school starting. The pressures and the temptations are are horrendous. We need to never let the crowds define us as a person. We need to find our identity from who we are in God and in Jesus Christ. And through prayer, Jesus kept focused on his BHAG, his big, hairy, audacious goal of who he was, and he didn't let his person be defined by the crowd. So, we always think about prayer as, through prayer, finding a way to say yes to God. But we need to remember that sometimes in prayer, we not only find the power to say yes to God, through prayer, we also find a way to say no to the crowd. Through prayer, we find a way to say no to the pressure and the expectations of others. A second thing I want you to notice uh, about Jesus and this prayer life is that he depends on prayer during times of challenge, in times of criticism, in times of setback. We go to chapter 6 and we see in verse 7 that the scribes and Pharisees were watching Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Imagine that. Instead of being concerned for the man who has the withered hand, the religious leaders are watching Jesus for an opportunity to criticize him and to find fault with him. Jesus gladly obliges them. He says, you're watching and you want to find fault, so here it is, have a heyday with it. And so in verse 11, after he'd healed the man, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Do you understand what this means? What they might do to Jesus did not mean that they would call him before a council and write him up a little reprimand. What what they would do to Jesus meant they would destroy him, they would kill him. And the very next verse, 
During those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer. In the face of withering criticism, in the face of of resistance, in the face of of nitpicking and fault-finding and attempts on his life, Jesus found time to pray. And there are some of us here this morning that are going through some things. Your marriage or your business may be tanking. You may be facing impossible situations at work. You may have friends who've deserted you. You may have people who are not standing with you. You may be doing the very best you can. And yet all you get in return is criticism and fault-finding and nitpicking. Jesus shows us that in the midst of all of that, we keep our eye on the BHAG, on the big, hairy, audacious goal. Why are we here? What is God doing in my life? What has God called me to be? And we pray. And through prayer, we keep a focus and we keep a compass heading so that we know how to handle all that withering stuff that's coming at us. There's a third example. Jesus depends on prayer in the third instance during a time of crucial choices. Remember the scripture? During those days he went to the mountain to pray and spent the whole night in prayer to God. And what came right after that? Jesus chose 12 disciples. Do you, re- do you remember how crucial this is? Jesus is going to be physically removed from the earth. This is his leadership team. He's rolling out his management team. He's going public with his ministry. These 12 disciples, such as they are, they're the one link between Jesus who will physically disappear and the rest of the world that needs to be reached needs to be reached. This narrow little thread, this thin little weak thread of the 12 disciples, they are Jesus' lifeline. He's going to pour his life into them. He's going to model for them things. He's going to apprentice them. He's going to empower them, and he's going to release them to do ministry. They are all he has to reach the world for Christ. So Jesus spends all night in prayer making this crucial choice. We forget sometimes, don't we, that decisions we make today may impact tomorrow in powerful ways. We think sometimes our choices are mundane and ordinary and just very everydayish. But in reality, sometimes our prayerful choices are are life-changing, they're transformative. We don't always know when that's going to be the case. But prayer can lift our choices up into the larger purposes of God. Through prayer, our choices can, can flow into the larger purposes of God as we trust Him. Now, I wonder who here this morning is going through some seam time or some crease time time of transition, a time of change, who needs to spend more time in prayer. Maybe you've lost a job, or maybe you're starting a job. Maybe the new school year is for you that critical new beginning. Maybe for you there's been a separation or a divorce, or 
the grief of loss of a loved one, or maybe it's a business transition. Uh, maybe it's, it's some other kind of personal change. And God is calling you to bathe that experience in prayer, to be very, very careful in times of transition, to move your choices up into the larger purposes of God through prayer. You know, churches go through transition times too. Churches go through epic changes. This church went through one uh, a few 15, 20 years ago, transitioning from being sort of the denominational headquarters church into a different kind of congregation, a First Baptist community church focused uh, with different kinds of ministries, different kinds of worship that we've been introduced to, uh, making transitions for some of us, for all of us in various ways, being open to reaching more people by speaking a different kind of worship language. Transitioning from a program-driven church that, that is all about a package of programs here and inviting people to come to the building uh, into a missional church that is one that goes out to the community to serve in very different sorts of ways. All kinds of epic transitions that congregations and individuals and families go through. And when we go through those changes, to hear God's invitation to bathe those transitions in prayer and to seek God's face that our choices might be lifted into the larger purposes of God. The great theologian Karl Barth once reminded us in his writings that the the Creator God not only created space, the sky and the infinite planets and stars, that God not only created space, but God also created time. Have you ever thought about that? that God not only created space, but created time. And, and then, by extension, God created our time, our time here on this earth. And then, by extension, to go a step further and think about this. God, the infinite God, the cosmic God, has created time to be with you. The cosmic God, creator of the universe, of all that is, created time to be with us. He carved out that time. We pray because we were made for prayer. We pray because we were created for this intimate, personal relationship with God. And through prayer, that relationship is created. And through prayer, that relationship is sustained. Because the Creator God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, invites us into this incredible, amazing connection. Let's bow our heads together.